see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Um, I'm going to just, I'm not going to really introduce the whole section, but uh, talk about a theme that I think comes out in this. Uh, I've introduced the theme a little bit, and that, that is the idea of time. And the idea here, of course, they're told, you know, today and then immediately moves into the idea of the Sabbath. Could it be that the point of Christianity is that we have a different experience of time? Certainly we, we would want to point and say that as Christians are in our life we have different experience. But isn't the specific point that we experience time in the way that the writer is going to say he's going to talk about you know the today the immediate moment or he's going to talk about the sabbath and what i'll do i'll uh, we could reference many places in which there is a change in the experience of time that is encouraged and supposed to be the norm in christianity so maybe the proper way to say this is that at the heart of our experience is our experience of time. That is, time is as fundamental to our experience. And this is what gets changed up. That literally our experience of time. Now he's going to use the word Sabbath. And obviously we understand that the Sabbath, the day of rest, is not leisure in the sense of, oh, he, God was tired, or even that, uh, you know, people spend a day, you know, anymore we think of Sunday, but previously Friday to sundown to Saturday sundown. But let, let me hold on to the idea of leisure for a minute and, and change up the meaning of it. And that is, I think we could use that term, that is leisure or a, a rest from, you know, he's just talked about fear of death in chapter 2. He's talking about dying in the wilderness in chapter 3. And so there is this change-up in our experience that we transition from a life controlled by fear, and death is thematic in both instances. Uh, and there's a departure then. Maybe in Hebrews, like in John, you know, that he says, perfect love casts out all fear. The writer of Hebrews, fear is thematic at several points. He's going to later say our God is a consuming fire. And, of course, the idea is that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, that if you're going to fear something, and this was the passages we did in the Old Testament, that sometimes we're fearful of the wrong thing, and that then leads to a kind of uh, deception or failed understanding. Um, so the way that our lives are changed up, I think, is there's a departure from this fear in the passage into the today kind of living, that is living, you know, however you want to talk about that, as living in the moment or in a Sabbath living. Um, think, a, think a little bit, you know, about just the controversies that Jesus had. I'll, I'll state this, you know, that most of the controversies were about time, right? Uh, that's not the way we usually hear that. They were Sabbath controversies. But the idea was he was doing wrong things in the wrong time. And so what part of what those Sabbath controversies were, were about was that he's uh, 
redeeming, he's healing, he's making whole, and he's connecting this sort of activity with what should be done on the Sabbath. And the writer of, the, of Hebrews is saying we're entering into this Sabbath rest, this redemptive, healing, whole kind of time that I think Jesus was trying to convey in the Sabbath controversies. Uh, Sabbath, you know, is if you think back to Genesis, what was the day that God rested? If we kind of if we miss Genesis, we're going to miss the whole thing. You know that the seventh day is often discounted as of no importance, but actually the seventh day seems to be the purpose of the previous six days. Uh, and so too, when Jesus is having these Sabbath controversies, it's an argument about it's an argument about the telos, the purpose of everything, in a sense. Uh, This is, you know, Walton's point about uh, Genesis is that it doesn't, it's not a story about material origins, but it's about the organization, the function, the purpose of the cosmos. It's more of an answer, not how, but why. Why are, you know, what is the point of creation? Uh, The creation is made functional uh, in the sense that it is the place that God comes to rest. He comes, uh, he's entering into a temple. And so the seventh day is the day in which the purposes of history and creation are summed up. This is the point that I think Christ is making. And I think the writer of Hebrews is picking this theme up and saying, the purposes of history are summed up in Christ don't fail to enter into uh, this alternative understanding. And so clearly what are, you know, you can look at this. I was actually going to use some stuff here from, you guys know who William Jennings is. He was a, he's a black writer, a black theologian. And he talks about, you know, that what we have in modernity or maybe even American Christianity is a kind of failed imagination that there is just, and he talks about in growing up in the black church, you know, his mother and father were storytellers. But he says as a child, he couldn't separate out the stories that his parents told from the stories of the Bible. It was like they all were just sort of one big theme. And that, you know, Jesus and, and the characters of the Bible were characters that they just sort of lived with all the time. I think that it is this change up in imagination, to put it concretely, as we've talked about it before. It is a re-enchantment of the world that I think is so, it's something that maybe in the black church is more present than it is in the typical white, you know, American church. Uh, He describes, he and his mother are out working in the garden, which was one of the favorite, his favorite things to do with his mother. And you know that it was just it was just a uh, she had took deep pleasure in this and then it's still they're in the south you know and then these two white men come up and of course immediately they're all nervous and he his mother steps in between him and the the men and it turns out they're from the local reformed you know baptist church and they're saying well you know they, they he says they talked to my mother like she was not a christian and what they didn't understand was who we are, the people that we are. They didn't under, they are neighbors, but they had they had never met us, they never had seen us. 
And so there is this kind of dislocation that takes place, I think, for all of us. There is the loss of place and a loss of a sensibility of being grounded in time. This is what I think the writer of Hebrews is telling us, to enter in then to this rest, to enter in. It is the equivalent of entering into the promised land. That is that we're to find our place. We're to to be rooted uh, in, I think, literally in a place, in a community of people. And he's going, the, the way that we're going to, you know, enter in is through encouraging one another. This is not a singular thing. It's not an individualistic activity. But he's going to say that uh, we, we can do this and this is the whole point of, you know, to encourage one another. The way that uh, I've, I've referenced N.T. Wright, he says the great, he talks about in terms of Paul, but it's also here in the writer of Hebrews with this today. He, he says, the great now of the gospel is the fresh reality for which the antecedent signpost was the Sabbath. That is, this today and this Sabbath. Uh, we're gonna, Actually, the idea of entering into the Sabbath rest is unique, I think, to the writer of Hebrews. But the idea in chapter 3 of entering, you know, uh, of living in today don't miss the opportunity, redeem the time. That sort of language is pervasive in the New Testament. We've entered into, as Paul will put it, in the now time. Uh, we've already looked at this. You know, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. We're in the last period of time, the end of the age. Uh and so if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. And of course, the, the shadowing of, you know, the, the actually what we have in Christ is the antitype, and in the Sabbath is the antitype to what uh, the, the Jews experience. Where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years, and they all died in the wilderness. He's warning them, don't fail to enter in. And um, I think I referenced Agamben is kind of the... If there were a a living genius on the scene today, I would point to Giorgio Agamben. And he uses the phrase... I think I assume he's a complete atheist. I don't know that. But, uh, But he writes extensively on Scripture. He just... uh, in a kind of historic fashion. Uh, but he, ta- he refers to this time that you encounter in Scripture as messianic time. The present moment today, the Sabbath rest, means that it is no longer ordinary chronos. And so the term here is kairos. And this is, you know, we talked about this, the difference between chronos and kairos. Kairos is this Jewish sensibility about time. Uh, by the way, if you go in, any, the, the first thing you'll notice whenever you go into a different culture, you're going to China, Logan. I assume it's true in China. It's certainly true in Japan. Certainly true, like, among Native Americans here. That the, One of the first things you know, you'll notice is just a different rhythm, that people experience time differently. That sounds funny until you, until you it's probably true in Africa, that... You just the pace of life and everything is just a, it's a different experiential reality. 
in Japan, it's it's often speeded up, you know. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, that's well. That's why they have a, a, a word there for people that drop dead from overwork. Kudoshi is that the word? Kadoshi. Yeah. L literally, you just drop dead. Uh, I don't. Sabbath does not. Sabbath. They need a Sabbath, and they do not have a Sabbath. And so, in a sense, I think we're all living as Jesus describes it under this heavy burden. And I think what we're called to is a kind of, I, I, I would go with the word leisure if you don't misunderstand. It's not sitting by the pool with a beer. But it's the idea that we get rid of this heavy weight of, uh, you know, what, what do we call it? Fear of death, uh, anxiety, uh, this, the, the drive, you know, that... I think is behind what people do every day. And so the now of the gospel uh, is the idea. We're entering into this now time. The idea is inhabit the time in which you're, you're there. Be present. You know, this is, I think this is the opposite of, of shame. What is shame? Shame is an incapacity for presence. You're always absent. You're never there. Nobody's home. You're always hiding. And I think the now time is, no, I'm present here in this moment. I'm really here with you. And I think that that is the capacity that stands behind our ability to love other people. If you can't be present for somebody, you can't love them. This was Maisie's great devotion the other night. You know, she said the first thing we're called to do is just be present. Just be there for people. And in a sense, that's the best thing that you can do. Because being there means that you can love people. And not being there, you know, being absent in a time sense, either mentally or, you know, however. And I think we tend to always be focused on the future, on the past, and we, we fail to enter into the now, the time, the, the today. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Um, this is uh, right again. Oh no, this is uh, Agamben. Two times enter into the constellation called Honin Kairos. Messianic time is a summary, a recapitulation of the past. This recapitulation of the past produces a pleroma, a saturation and fulfillment of Kairoi. Uh, we all, we've all had time that you know, we're, there are significant points in our life that are those saturated moments where we were alive, where things were truly happening. And maybe those saturated moments then are unforgettable. You know, because most of the time is chronos, is just time passing. And so Agamben ties this to the explanation of Genesis 2.2, that, that, that is, this is what's happening on the day that God rested. He's taking it from, actually Agamben takes it from a historian's point of view. And it coincides very neatly, Wright brings this out, it coincides very neatly with Walton's point of view. They're coming at it from two very different places. 
But what they're saying converge upon this notion of, uh, you know, the significance of messianic time. Uh, it's not. It's not just another day. It's not homogenous to, to others. Rather, it is the innermost disjointedness within time, through which one, by a hair's breadth, might grasp time and accomplish it. Or to state it simply, the seventh day contains the time's telos or purpose. This is. There is a point. You know, when in your life are you living out God's purposes? We have to be able to say, now, today, this point, this time, I'm in, you know, this is the, the, the God's purpose, God's telos being worked out within me. Uh, Walton, let me, let me quote him a little bit uh, on Genesis. The account of the seventh day is often treated as a theological, ideological appendix tacked on after the most important occurrence the creation of people has been recounted. That assessment is distorted by our material perspective because we have observed that nothing material is manufactured on the seventh day. We devalue it as largely irrelevant to what we have considered an account of material origins. Once we have made the adjustment to a functional ontology, we see that the set we see the seventh day in a new light. I, I read that over and I thought, yeah, manufacturing, production, you know, uh, the idea of progress, maybe. That's when we think we're living, you know. And the point is, no, actually, it's not the material production. It's living out the purpose within creation. And that's the seventh day. Encourage one another, the writer says, day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, Paul is going to refer to the same thing in Galatians. You know, He talks about that we uh, ought to be caught up in the, the, this age, this evil age. Uh, and I think that's the, the similar choice. It's either Sabbath... It's either today or we're caught up in this evil age. Walton points out that, you know, in other religions, a god, you know, it was typical to have a seven-day period, and on the seventh day was when stability had been assured the regular daily business could be carried out without interruption. That is, everything is in place. And so if you think of the today as the Christian entering into the presence of God, he's just said, you are the temple of God. To fail to enter in is on the order of failing to enter you know, the promised land or failing to enter into the presence of God. Right after this in chapter 4, he says, uh, he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day. The writer is giving us a theology of creation. In other words, the writer's doing what Walton is doing. Only he's giving it to us theologically. Uh, and, uh, for, and this is the same thing that John does, I think, in the first chapter of John. He gives us a seven-day period. What happens on the seventh day? He enters into the temple for the temple cleansing. 
Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. This is 4.16. In time of need. Uh, that is the Sabbath rest is redemption time. It's the time when God ceases creation and it is the redemption. How long did redemption take? How long is the Sabbath? Well, apparently it encompasses all of human history because God ceased creating and we are still then in the Sabbath rest in which God is inviting the created order to come into his presence. Uh, so the seventh day is the purpose of creation and the activity of the seventh day is that which we enter into today. Uh, Let's see. The Christian is to enter into the temple of God. He has said, I think I duplicated. Either I'm going backward or I duplicated. Um, this is Walton again. When Genesis indicates that God rested on the Sabbath today, it tells us that in the account of the functional origins of the cosmos, the cosmos is being portrayed as a temple. This connection, which would have been transparent to the ancient audience, provides the key to understanding Genesis 1. Our writer has just referred to Genesis 1. He's just referred to the same thing, and he's saying exactly what Walton is saying. The temple was made functional in a typically seven-day dedication ceremony. In this dedication ceremony, the functions of the temple were initiated, the functionaries installed, and then on the seventh day, the symbol that represented the deity was brought in and placed in the cent central room of the temple. Only then could the temple begin functioning as it was designed to do. When does creation begin to do what it was designed to do? Today. Enter into his rest. I think that's the point of of Christ, this is the point of the Sabbath controversies, uh, is to say the temple, the presence of God is being established among you. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. Christ was speaking of the temple of his body, the church. We are that temple. Uh, Paul says in Romans 12 too, don't let yourselves be squeezed into the shape dictated by the present age. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can work out what God's will is. I think Paul's mind renewal, the idea of you know a reworking of the imagination, the idea of a re-enchantment, uh, the idea of two ages coming together, that is, the age to come is intersecting with the present, the but now. A new time has dawned. But now, this is Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 3.10, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Heaven is being brought into conjunction with earth and the future age is being brought into the present time. Uh, a lot of this is 
bouncing off Isaiah and the Psalms, uh, you know, Paul's going to reference the, the uh, both, but and the writer of Hebrews is also referencing both. Thus says the Lord, Isaiah 49, 8, In a favorable time I have answered you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Uh, And then, you know, this is uh, in Psalms 96, Sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name. The writer of Hebrews references. Uh, Hebrews assumes that uh, the material reality can participate in something more. Material reality is for the purpose of, of Sabbath. Um, maybe in Paul we would say the equivalent of Sabbath would be resurrection life. You know, living between the, the when you're baptized, you're resurrected in a spiritual sense, but waiting for the bodily resurrection uh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Philippians 3.9 Not that I have already obtained it or have already been made perfect, but I press on. I think this is the same thing, this pressing on. Don't fail to enter in. Um, I, I forget what lies behind and reach forward to what lies ahead. So as Wright puts it, the interval between Messiah's resurrection and his royal arrival characterizes the present time. We're living in resurrection time in which we've seen the power, or we have the power of the resurrection, and we understand that it will be fulfilled in a literal bodily resurrection. He sees the whole of history, cosmic history, human history, and Israel's history, Wright talking about Paul, coming together to the point of the Messiah and thus generating a new kind of temporality. Thus he speaks of when the time had fully come, or in Galatians, the fullness of time. Uh, so the prophecies are being fulfilled. Paul and the communities you know, are talking about the writer of Hebrews, also the coming of the ends of the ages. Paul talk about be daytime people, you know the time, live in the daytime. Um, and uh, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. And Paul's quoting this in Second Corinthians. This is Isaiah 49, 8. So Isaiah's promise has come true. All God's promises find their yes in the Messiah. Second Corinthians 1, 20. Um, let me do one more quote. Uh, this is Psalms 132. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her needy with bread. Her priests also I will clothe with the salvation, and her godly ones will sing aloud for joy. There I will cause the horn of David to spring forth. I have prepared a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame. Either enter into this resting place, or fail to enter in and experience shame. It's there in the psalm, Psalm 132. 
It's the same Im imagery that the writer is referencing here. All right, let's. That's a brief introduction. Uh, Wait, so you do the lesson now? <laughs> oh yes. yeah, we're just. <laughs> Yeah. Now we read it. Jake, you want to read uh, verse 7? Yeah. <clears throat> Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice. Um, and he's quoting here. What's, what's the, is this the psalm that he's quoting? Psalm 95, I think. Psalm 95. I think I just... But he, he's, he's referencing the psalm, but he says, well, the Holy Spirit said this. That God said this. So, uh, and so, have we heard his voice? I think the point is that in the word, here is the Logos theology of the writer of Hebrews. He's saying, well, we have heard his voice in Christ. Sharon, why don't you give us two verses, finish the sentence. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion as, if, as on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors put me to the test, though they had seen my works for forty years. There, oh, uh, no, that's Okay, so the the picture we know that who is the two Caleb and who were the two that enter into the promised land? Uh, Jake, Joshua, and Caleb. Mm -hmm. Everyone else died in the wilderness. That whole generation died in the wilderness. Why did they die in the wilderness? Because of unbelief. Because they didn't trust God. Sorry. I, well, I think that's the point. We're not to that. That we're he's giving us a an allegory here, of of, of kind, right? Oh, well, I'm taking it too seriously. Yes. That we probably what you're going to discover. I, I was playing racquetball today with two old guys. And everybody we were talking about were dead. <laughs> we talk about death a lot. This is like number five or six, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, which is beside the point. What was my point? <laughs> this is how. They're dead now. Exactly. You're feeling old. We had a guy come through. He's he's ninety two. Oh, he's, I think he's 94. He came through. And he's, he, he started talking, and he's just talking on and on. He said, you know, boys, I'm glad. And we're all in our 60s and 70s. He calls us boys, you know. Um, that uh, I'm glad you stood here and listened to me talk for the last 10 minutes because I'm 94, and all my friends are dead. My wife won't listen to me anymore. And so you've just served me in a great, you know, done me a great service just listening to my stories. Thank you and good day. <laughs> no, that has nothing to do with <laughs> the idea of the. I think of the the uh, avoiding death and being left in the wilderness. Uh, and, you know, you the same thing. You know, when does Israel? When does Israel become Israel? It really happens in stages. The first stage is they cross the Red Sea, and that's really kind of the writer of uh, Peter re refers to it as a kind of baptism. And of course, throughout this, he's really referencing the church. Um, and then the passage from Israel across, I mean, into Israel across the Jordan River, similar thing that they kind of they have to pass once again, and they have to entrust themselves 
in the face literally of an impending death, the walls of water, uh, and, and trust God. I think it's that same sort of trust that enables us in an immediate today sense to live not in the fear of death, but live have a different quality of, of life. Uh, yeah. Did that did that address what you were saying? What was I saying? Everybody's gonna die. Yeah, there we go. But we don't have to live as if that is uh, the the uh, telos, the goal, the purpose. That is, we're living out a, a different telos on a daily basis. In other words, if we live uh, on that basis, I think just the idea of a corporate body is, you know, Israel, they died, they fell apart, they did not become Israel. We don't have to have suicidal tendencies, as our malaria medication gives us. That's right. That's a good way to summing it up. What psalm is it that you said appears here? Oh, Psalm ninety. Okay, you said nine through ten. Yeah, nine. And and it's uh, it's yeah. This the the echoes are continuous in Hebrews, and I may not have run down all the echoes. Uh, but all right, Dave, you want to do the next one? Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said. They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Uh, that here were people who saw the theophanies, the great theophanies of God, mm-hmm. the pillar of fire, the pillar of smoke, the voice of God speaking on Sinai. Uh, never have a people been exposed to the presence of God to the degree that they were and the point is, they missed it. They hardened their heart. Uh, and the writer is making the point, what you have is greater than what Moses had. That is, this is the reality. What they had was a shadow. And then, Chris, you want to do verse 11? Well, go ahead and do 11 and 12. Because I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Why is unbelief evil? Well, in this case, it's, at this context, it's rebellion. I think that's it, that if you don't believe in God, what do you believe in? Yourself. I think so. You entrust you, you entrust your own, and maybe we never put it that way. Oh, I you know I'm gonna I did it my way, but really that's what that's what the choice is. You either trust yourself, you entrust yourself to God, or you you imagine that you can work this thing out on your own. I don't think we can work it out on our own, and you don't need to. You can be relieved of that burden, and that's the point of entering the rest of God. Uh, so I think often we the the idea of faith as over and against evil. We don't normally juxtapose those, but I think they are, uh, that the two things stand in contrast. And then, uh, Alec, you want to do 13? All right. 
But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Apparently this is a thing that, uh, you know, to be saved from, as Paul says, this evil age, uh, that we need one another to do this thing. And I, may, I think to imagine otherwise is to be deceived by sin. The deceitfulness of sin is one that requires us to continually recognize it for what it is. And then uh, verse 14, Logan. Um, for we have come to share in Christ. Indeed, we hold origi- our original confidence firm to the end. And, and uh, faith 15. This has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And so this is a sermon. He's being rhetorical here. He's already said this, but he said it again because it bears repeating. Uh, for... Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? And this is Jake's point. What's the opposite of faith? Well, it's rebellion. What's unbelief? It's rebellion. Uh, was it not all those who left Egypt led by? Were not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Here's your point. Uh, they went in, Jacob, J- Joshua and Caleb. They left their friends behind. Uh, and to whom did he swear that they will not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Disobedience, unbelief, rebellion are all equated in this passage. Uh, and also equated then with dying in the wilderness. Alright, any comment, question? So, um, chapter 3, when you talked about the temple, 3, maybe, from what I was understanding, 1 through 6, was kind of, it was talking about where that's the temple, because it's talking about God's house. Is that kind of what you're relating it to? And then afterwards it talks about the rest, because we're the temple, and then we enter into his rest. Anything yeah, it's all temple imagery. Jesus is high priest. Uh, he says, you are the house of God. But I think that if you take into account, he's referring back to the Sabbath. He himself references, uh, you know, the, the, the rest of God, the Sabbath. Well, that's the Genesis passage. God rested, that's the creation passage. So I think we can extend the idea of uh, temple of God it's certainly the Christians it's the church but I think by extension it's the cosmos uh, that the cosmos itself you know Paul says that the creation is await, you know, is in groaning and travail awaiting the appearing of the sons of God the redemption that is being worked out in Christ is cause of cosmic proportion and so, yeah, I think it's all it's all temple Im- imagery. It's all uh, Moses imagery, you know. The thing I didn't do, and I'm I'm gonna do, and I'm glad you didn't call me on it. I didn't talk about, you know, we could have talked more about Jesus as high priest, mm-hmm. that he's mediating. He's the one mediating, uh, 
this redemption to us. He is the Word of God. It's through Him that we have Sabbath rest. So it, it is that what Hebrews is a reading of the Old Testament. But I think you can almost say that about every book in the New Testament. <clears throat> but especially Hebrews, because he's clearly referencing. You know, it, it's a, a continual echoing. He or she. She, Priscilla, is no, continually. He or she. He or she. They. Or they. They. The team. Z. Yeah. No, just they. They. Gender yeah. neutral. Okay. Yes, Jake. So, God, after six days of creation, entered rest on the seventh day. And it doesn't seem like he's ever left that rest, that seventh day rest. It's been a lot of years, so that maybe mean that literal six-day creation wasn't literal? That's a great way to, to say it. Yeah, I would say that's a, an, uh, the, if the writer of Hebrews and the other writers in the New Testament imagine that all of human history is in day seven, who's to say how long the first six days took? Yeah, that's been something I've been, never really liked the six day of literal creation it's a it's a, certainly the writer of Hebrews is referencing the seventh day as uh, plastic expandable so that it's inclusive of all of human history